This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Robeson Funeral Home. Robeson Funeral Home, selling cheap coffins for expensive prices. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's Hidden Child Week on Pod Cemetery with 1991's The People Under the Stairs and 2013's The Harvest. But before we talk about the movies, and before we get to Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition... Ah, we hit a milestone this week, kind of. We basically did in one week what it normally takes us on average to get to in a month. So we're seeing a nice little uh, hockey uptick, a hockey stick uptick there, which is really good. Hello and welcome to all of our new listeners. Yes, if you're a new listener, hello. So before we get started, I'd like to do a little house cleaning up front just because I know some people check out at the end of an episode and I don't think I've ever done this up front before. So I just want to say you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. That's our website. It's spelled S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y, but you can get their spelling cemetery the traditional way, too. I bought that one as well. There you can browse all of our episodes, a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. It makes it really easy to find an episode you might be interested in by looking for movies that you like. You can leave a comment there, you can share your thoughts on the movies, recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode, which we do a lot, including this episode. Mm -hmm. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com, which we read ourselves. You can follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery, spelled S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y, and uh, sometimes... Kelsey will live tweet a horror movie. Sometimes I'll add commentary during the edit. As always, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, all of that. The second best thing you can do is share us with a friend. But the absolute best thing you can do is just listen in the first place. Guys, we really, really appreciate it. We're just a couple who wanted to do something together like this. And here we are. This is totally amateur. We both have full-time jobs and all of that. And we just do this... For the heck of it. So you guys listening at all is uh, a really big deal. and It means a lot to us. So thank you very much. That said, Kelsey, give me your trivial pursuit question. All right. Are you ready for a really hard question, Chris? Yeah, I got a really hard one for you, too. So remember, guys, this is not the quality of the questions. I I always look for questions that have to do with movies that we've already covered or movies that we're about to cover in the very near future. So here we go. Is the killer caught at the end of 1974's Black Christmas? No. Famously, they never reveal who it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Except in the remake, where they do. Let's not talk about the remake. For some reason. Listen to that episode. Kelsey. Yeah. What is the profession of Guy Woodhouse, the husband of Rosemary, in Rosemary's Baby? He is an actor. That is correct. Just out of curiosity, I want to know if you would get this. Okay. The movie's Shivers 
1975, and The Brood, 1979, were influences on James Gunn when making what 2006 movie? I have no idea. It's like his big major movie before he started doing Guardians of the Galaxy. And it is a horror movie. I have no idea. Slither. Oh, yeah. I've never seen Slither. Really? Yeah. Maybe we should do that on the show. Okay. All right. First up, we are going to talk about 1991's The People Under the Stairs, written and directed by Wes Craven, starring Brandon Quinton Adams, Everett McGill, Wendy Robbie, and a behaired Ving Rames. What do you call it when somebody is has hair? <laughs> I don't know. Ving Rames notoriously is bald, so uh, he actually has hair in this movie. I thought that was... Uh, of note. Kelsey, what is The People Under the Stairs about? Well, first, I want to remind everyone that this is another recommendation week. Uh, yeah. And this was given to us by Peter. So thank you, Peter. Yeah, thank you, Peter. And a really good choice of two movies to put together, actually. Yes. Having seen them now. Mm-hmm. So what is The People Under the Stairs about? Yes. Uh, it is about a couple who have a daughter and they never let her outside, and they abuse her, etc. And another neighborhood kid breaks into their house and finds horrible things in there. Yes, it's a movie with a very uh, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, anti-capitalist kind of pro-socialist message to it. Yes. Uh, basically about how the people in power will grind the people without power under their heels Will they suck off of the poor? Yes, they will suck off of the poor. <laughs> what movie is that from, Kelsey? Society. Society. We did an episode on that. Yeah, I mean, Wes Craven, believe it or not, is a man of the people. <laughs> yes, he is. Should people watch the movie, Kelsey? I would say yes, but this movie is very strange. It's a horror comedy. It yes, straight it's, up. It's definitely a horror comedy. But it's not like a tells jokes for laughs kind of thing. It's just bizarre. It's very bizarre. Think of how bizarre Twin Peaks is, like early like first season Twin Peaks and then put that in a horror movie and then add in some slapstick humor. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very strange movie, but I would recommend it. I say Twin Peaks almost especially because it stars Everett McGill and Wendy Robbie, who were a couple in Twin Peaks, and yes. they were very weird. <laughs> especially the wife. Yeah, she had she an eye patch and was obsessed with making uh, curtain rods quiet or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that couple is the main. Are that couple are the main antagonists in this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, you should definitely. I think you should definitely check it out if you haven't seen it already, and you're in the mood for a really weird, silly horror movie. Yes. All right, so you can take our recommendation or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1991's The People Under the Stairs. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. 
all sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Cravens, the people under the stairs. All right, Kelsey, why don't you get us started? What happens in the people under the stairs? We open on this character. His name, his real name is Poindexter, which I don't understand, but right. the, everybody calls him Fool, and his older sister gave him that name based on her tarot cards. And she explains that uh, he is a fool now as a child, but that uh, he will burn and from the ashes will come a man. Yes, Fool is played by Brandon Quentin Adams, and you definitely recognize him from The Sandlot and The Mighty Ducks. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> He had an awesome career as a child. <laughs> yes, he did. And it explains, she she's reading his cards and she tells him that he's got a real tough year ahead of him. I would say just a tough couple of weeks ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, so we find out he's very poor. He lives in a one bedroom apartment with his mother, his sister, and his sister's daughter. And so, like, the daughter is, like, sleeping on a couch. And they know? don't make it clear, but there's a guy they call Grandpa something who may or may not be their biological their grandfather. uncle. I think they call him uncle. Grandpa Booker is his name. Oh, well, all right. Yeah. Played by Bill Cobbs, who you recognize from uh, fucking everything. <laughs> but he's in Demolition Man and That Thing You Do and uh, People Under the Stairs. We find out that uh, the mom is dying from cancer. They're getting kicked out of their apartment because they're late on their rent. And in their agreement for the rental agreement, uh, if they are a day late, they have to pay some. Triple. Yes. Now, this is not ordinary, but it's specifically built in such a way to actually drive them out. They're yes. the last family who's paying rent in this building, and they want to tear it down and build it up as condos so they can earn a lot more in rent. Yes. Leroy, Vin Rames. The Secretary of Pussy. <laughs> Maybe the president is going to make me Secretary of Pussy. He is a friend of his sister's? I don't, they never really clarify that relationship, but I think they're just friends. Yeah. He is explaining about these evil landlords and how, you know, we should really get back at them because they have all this money, all this gold. So we should really break into their house and steal all this. He has made a living out of being a, a thief. And the sister is against this. She says, you know, he wants to be a doctor. That's what we have planned for him. And he's like, you're not going to be able to afford medical school. Like, yeah, uh -huh. I'm showing him a life that he can actually do and can actually make money from. We find out that life is robbery. Yes. <laughs> it's it's very, yeah, it's it's messed up. But at the same time, it's, it's like this is It's kind of real, real. This is yeah. very real. Then we meet the family. We meet the, the couple who actually end up being brother and sister, I think. Yes. 
Yeah. They have a daughter, and it's never really clear if she really is their daughter or not. No, they. I mean, the movie says that she's not. Right. It's revealed that they're brother and sister, and she is just a child that they kidnapped as a baby. Uh, they never really give us any proof or reason to believe that, though. We know that they steal all the other kids, but her specifically, they act as if she really is theirs. Right, but Fool says that she's not. Okay. Anyway, she is, the this child is very abused. She gets beatings all the time. She's Yeah, terrified. mommy is very sick. And yes. she is like, I don't mean literally, like she's twisted. Yeah. She's super strict. And yeah, really scares this little girl. She gets in trouble from them because she feeds the quote-unquote thing that lives in the walls. Yeah, different from the people who live under the stairs. Yes. <laughs> so she is obviously feeding someone who lives in between the walls, apparently. Yep. And she gets beaten for that. And they even say, remember not to bruise her face, which I don't understand because she never goes outside. Right, but in case... She needs to be seen for some reason. Right. Fool and Leroy and some other dude, some white guy that they're friends with. Um, His name is Spencer. Okay. They are getting ready to break in and- They do some reconnaissance first. Yes. So they're watching the house and they send Fool in to get as much info as he can dressed as a Boy Scout. Where they got the Boy Scout outfit, I don't know. Yeah, he might have had it. He might have been a Boy Scout at one point. Plus, you can just buy them. I remember I would always get them at uh, JCPenney, Cub Scout and Boy Scout uniforms. You can buy them there. They had a whole section devoted to that stuff. Anyway, uh, so he tries to go and talk to her, but the mom is not having it. She's just like, nope, go away. Nope, yeah. nope, nope. Mm-hmm. He's like, I really got to go to the bathroom. Can I use your bathroom? Nope, nope, nope. Get out. Yeah. The white guy is like, man, you know, you shouldn't send a boy in to do a man's job or whatever. So he dresses up like he works for the electric company. Yes. And he has this story about, like, I need to come in and check your meter inside. Yeah. And she's like, there's no meter inside. But she lets him in anyway. Yeah, uh uh-huh. It's just there have been an awful lot of robberies lately. Neighborhoods changing. Has us all a bit on edge. I completely understand. Better this little bother than a chance of danger, though, right? But then he doesn't come back out. So Leroy comes to the conclusion that he is taking the money for himself. So they decide to break in after they see the mom leave, which is a big indicator that our the white dude is probably dead. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why else would she leave him alone in her house? Right, yes. So they get in, they break into this door. And when they do that, uh, out comes this dog that they have. This poor, poor dog. (laughs) Obviously trained to be really violent, but like the worst things happen to this dog. (laughs) And this dog is attacking Leroy and Fool, to get him off of him, makes fun of him. Your yeah. mo- your dad, your mom's a cat or yeah, some uh-huh. shit, and that somehow works. Again, this movie is very strange. Yes. And the dog comes after him, and then- He ju- he jumps over, he grabs the, the top of the, of the uh, door frame, and then dog runs underneath him, he drops down, and then he closes the door behind him. 
And immediately Leroy notices that something strange is happening in this house. He's like, why do they have padlocks on all of their cupboards? Right. Why are there dead flies everywhere? Yeah. And Wes Craven does a very good job, I would say, in this silly, bizarre movie of making you like setting up the intrigue, right? Very tense. Oh yeah. Uh huh. I I mean I rem- <sighs> watching this, I'm like I understand why this scared me when I was a kid. Yeah, I I could not move around the house like they do, knowing as little as they do. Like I don't understand how brazen people can be like this. <laughs> but yeah, so it's very very tense um, and scary. Uh. And Fool is left alone? Uh, or no, he's so sent somewhere. Ving, no, Ving Rhames goes upstairs, and then he he tells Fool that they're going to split up. So Fool has to search downstairs while Ving Rhames searches upstairs. So he opens up this locked door, and it leads down into the cellar. Yeah. He starts to go down there, and he gets a little scared, and he goes, I ain't stupid, and he runs back up the stairs, which for me, I'm like, yes, don't Uh be stupid. But then he remembers that Ving Rhames is making fun of him for being scared. Yes. So he goes back down there like an idiot. The the door is closed behind him. On its own. He finds a TV on that's facing, like, into the walls. Yeah. And he's very confused. And then he finds Spencer, the white guy. Yes, and he's like really white. <laughs> he's yeah, like now completely he looks like drained he's of his blood, and and his hand is inside the walls. And when he pulls it out, it's been stripped. Yeah, and his gross. other hand is holding a gold coin. Now that is that is apparently an American gold eagle coin, and it's actually made out of gold. At the time the movie was made, it was worth about $708. That's a lot less than what they claim it's worth in the movie. <laughs> they say, oh, you can pay for your school and your mother's cancer treatment. And- well, he's saying if they had all of it. This yeah, is just one okay, coin, and it. they do have tons of them. Yeah. But yeah, as Chris was saying, I didn't mean to interrupt. I thought you'd keep going. The other hand is has been, like, chewed on or something. Yeah. And Fool's response is, this ain't right. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. He goes up to tell Leroy that he has found him dead, and he sees Leroy, who looks like he's dead. Yeah, he's laying with his head inside a vent going into the wall. And so when he touches him to check if he's dead, Leroy's actually alive, and then they scare each other. And Fool thinks that Spencer has been scared to death. Yeah. Do you think that's what's supposed to have happened? I'm pretty sure the mom killed him. Well, because he's completely white. Yeah, I think the mom killed him and then tossed him down there for the people under the stairs. That's what I thought. Yeah. And by the way, to be clear... It's called the people under the stairs because the doorway to the cellar is the doorway underneath the stairs. Yes. It's not really clear. They don't ever say – like, they, they call them the people under the stairs, but they don't ever outright say why they call them that. I don't think it really needs to be explained. <laughs> I mean, I feel it does because there's nothing about them being under stairs. It's just the entryway to the basements under the stairs. He hears all the noises and everything, too, under there. We didn't say that. Yeah. When he's down there with Spencer. Scary noises. Uh, So then the father comes home, and he turns out all the lights, and he goes after Leroy. And Leroy says, run, fool, run. 
Which, why on earth? I know that it's funny because then the, the, the dad's like, oh, you thought I was the fool. He was the fool. But it's like, dude, you could have just let him know that fool's in the house. Yeah, I know. Why would Leroy have done that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the meantime, through their escapades, they find out that the door is electrified, the front door is electrified, and they use that to shock the dog when the dog attacks Leroy. Oh, and it's really bad. Like, they're like, yeah, I mean, because it's supposed to be silly like that. Yeah. Um, But that's like thing number one bad that happens to the dog. I wrote, oh, poor puppy. He got electrocuted. (laughs) Then Fool is looking around the house because now he's stuck in there. And he's all by himself, because now Leroy and Spencer are both dead. Yeah. And he stupidly lights a lighter while the dad is still looking around the house. Yeah. Like, why would you want to draw attention to yourself? The good thing for Fool that he doesn't even know yet is that Roach is running around inside the walls. He's the man in the walls. Yes. And so when the dad hears noises, he automatically thinks it's Roach. But that's not good for Fool either because he likes to go after Roach with a shotgun. Roach is played by Sean Whalen. You know him from fucking everything. He's in a lot of things, but he's always a very minor character. He is the killer in jury duty. (laughs) I don't know what that is. Then he meets, Fool meets the little girl. And he she, he figures out very quickly she's never been outside. She's never met anybody. So, like, his immediate reaction is, what, you've never seen a brother before? And she's just like, are you my brother? Yeah. Like, it has nothing to do with race. It's simply that she's never been outside of the house. Right, yeah. So, and she explains that Roach and all of the other people under the stairs are the children that went bad. And he said, well, how come they don't put you down there? And she says, because I do not see or hear or speak evil. Right. There is a running theme of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Mm-hmm. So Roach screams for some reason. Do you, do you have why? Yeah. So Roach constantly tries to bring attention on himself to save the other two. Fool and the little girl. Anytime the dad is uh, coming after them. He'll try to make noise to get th- to get dad's attention. No. I mean, yeah, you're right, but that's not what I'm talking about. Roach screams, and then the daddy comes busting out of the room wearing a gimp suit and holding a shotgun. He wasn't looking for anybody at that point. He just heard Roach screaming. I don't know why Roach screams at this point. I'm, well, because here, what I have written is that she's trying to get him, Fool, to go inside the walls. And Fool's like, I'm not, no, I need to get out. And she tells him, sometimes in is out. And he says, no, and he leaves. And I'm pretty sure that the dad hears that. And then Roach yells to get his attention. See, why it doesn't make any sense is because he screams, Roach does. And then we've never seen him wearing the gimp suit. Daddy comes busting out of a room in a gimp suit with a shotgun. We don't see him looking around for anybody. He comes out of nowhere wearing the gimp suit after he hears the screams. I don't really remember. But what I do remember Uh is that this leads Fool to go back inside the walls, which is exactly what the little girl was trying to get him to do. Uh But now he doesn't know which way to go because now he's in the middle of the house. 
while he's running through the walls, I don't know about you, but the music that plays there totally sounds like the music from Labyrinth when they're running away from the... Oh, I don't remember the music at all, but okay. From the, um, the cleaners. Yeah. Oh my god, that music is like exactly the same. Did I say that? No, I wrote it. What what movie were we watching where I was like, The Cleaners? I don't remember, but I do remember you saying that. I don't remember what movie, though. The dad is very silly. Wearing that jumpsuit. He'll yell into the vents like, Gonna kill you! Yeah. Gonna kill you! Uh-huh. It's very, very so silly. Roach and Fool are running through the walls, and there are all these little traps. I wrote here, it changes so abruptly into a screwball comedy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, it goes from super tense, uh-huh. scary, to just, like, slapstick shit happening. Right, where at one point the dog is in the walls running after them, and then they trigger a trap that's supposed to be meant for roach because that's the the dad set up all these traps to try to trap roach because ever since he got in the walls he's never been able to get them and you know he he slides down this chute and then out a vent and then into the living room i wrote here poor puppy he got punched in the fucking face i gotta ask yeah are houses actually built that way with space between the walls is that i'm sure some old-fashioned houses are why why would you have that it's a good question. I mean, normally you'd think you'd find insulation. Like current houses? No, absolutely not. There's enough room for insulation, and then that's the only thing between the walls. You wouldn't just waste space like that. Okay. I don't know if it's maybe to separate rooms or what. I, I don't know. So the parents figure out that the daughter has met him, and so they force her to clean up the blood of Leroy, and then when she's covered in blood, the mom puts her in scalding hot water, which, if that had actually happened, she'd be covered in boils. And her skin yeah, but her skin is hot. really red. So they try to show that a little bit. It, uh, yeah, it's just very hot water. At one point after that, again, the father is running after Fool. Fool totally punches him in the dick. Okay, okay. So <laughs> I have written here another poor puppy. Poor puppy. Daddy told him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! That's right. He's barking and barking. Because Fool is in there and he doesn't know. Yeah, and so when he turns around and tells him to shut the fuck up, that's when Fool punches Daddy in the dick. It's (laughs) awesome. So it's like revenge for telling the puppy to shut the fuck up. It's so great. But puppy goes back in there with the girl, because by this point Roach has been killed. Yeah, Roach dies the first time through. Oh. Yeah. He gets shot. No, because Roach helps him. We didn't even talk about that. At one point, Roach helps him get through the walls. It's during that time that he gets shot. Yeah, and that's that's when the dog slides down the thing. Oh, we already did that. I didn't write any of that down. Oh, well. So with Prince in the walls, he's fighting with Fool. And well, before he finds Fool, because Fool has escaped him, Fool fucking sneezes. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And that's how he finds him. So he's wrestling with Prince, the dog, and Daddy is stabbing through the walls with a bayonet on the end of his gun. And as soon as he stabs once more, it gets quiet. You hear Fool groan. And then he slides the bayonet out and it's covered in blood. And he's like, ha ha ha, I got him, I got him, I killed him, I killed him. Oh, I got him, I got him, I got him, I got him. 
prove it. It turns out he actually killed Prince. Poor puppy. Prince is dead. Oh, shit. And Mommy is not happy about this. (laughs) You killed Prince! Yes. So, in the meantime, Fool gets out by jumping out. Alice's window into the into the pool. It's not. It's more like a pond that they have there. He tries to get Alice to come, but Alice is like, "I'm afraid. I don't know what's out there." So he says he's gonna come back for her. And when they find out that he got away, mommy chastises daddy by saying, "Bad boy, go on, go on to your room and get into your suit." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bad boy, go straight to your room and get into your suit. Well, he at first he goes outside and shoots his gun. Yeah. And that makes her more mad too. Yeah. You don't shoot your gun outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is when Fool goes back home with the bag full of coins that Roach gave him before Roach died. And Grandpa Booker explains how much these are worth and that they it's fantastic. And then he also tells him to stay away from that brother and sister. And Fool's like, wait a minute, brother and sister? Well, they didn't act like brother and sister. <laughs> Grandpa Booker says, brother and sister, tail end of the craziest family you ever heard of, which is probably the explanation for why Alice isn't their kid. They're the tail end of the family. Every generation more insane than the one before it started out as a family, as a family running a funeral home. Selling cheap coffins for expensive prices. And they got their fingers in the real estate. Started making a lot of money taking over people's homes. The more money they got, the greedier they got. The greedier they got, the crazier they got. All sorts of rumors about what's going on in that place. Never proved it because the police didn't take it serious. But believe me, when I was a kid, none of us ever walked past that house. And Fool explains that he can't have the police go because the police won't do anything. They won't believe it. Right. And we know that because at one point the police show up and don't believe anything. Yeah. You know, they uh, because he does like they do call it in. He calls it in anonymously and the police show up and they're like they put on a good front and they hide everything. And then the police just end up leaving. It's like, well, fuck it. So I got to get her myself. They even find a room that's like a child's room. And they're like, hey, you said that you didn't have children. They're like, oh, yeah, well, she died, but we keep it because it makes us sad. It's like, what kind of a police officer just buys that story? Yeah, but I mean, it's not like it's. It's not like it doesn't happen. People do that when their children die. They leave their rooms the way they are. So. They have put Alice up in the attic. They have tied her up inside there. And it's like, oh, she's terrified of the attic. Serves her right. So Fool is like, I'm going to go and get her. Yeah. So he goes back and tries to get her out. He gets her out through the chimney, which, which has loose bricks. And he's able to free her. That way, and then he comes in through the outside, I think, and then... It's very silly. But then, like, the whole neighborhood gets together to come after this family. 
Right. And so the older sister shows up, the grandpa Booker, he shows up. He says, I'm going to get that shotgun and set those kids free. And we, I don't think we ever see what happens to grandpa Booker. He gets locked inside and we never see him come out. We never see anything happen to him. Sure At least not fine. that I noticed it. They just kind of forgot that he was in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just this all out brawl with fool and Alice versus mommy and daddy. And like, they drop a brick on daddy's head. Yep. And uh, then they slide down the thing. Down the chimney. Yeah. It's very silly. And they get to the basement where Fool finds, he goes into the room with all the people under the stairs and they're all the men, the young boys they kidnapped. They're all like teenage boys. That have grown up down there. Yeah. And so they're like, uh, half human people that have because they have no sunlight people. and they eat people and they if they talk they get their tongues cut out and so or they get their ears right cut off if they've heard too much or they get their eyes taken out if they right. see too much so they are inclined to help fool and one of them in particular shows him to the safe which fool manages to get into and he sees a room just. Full of these gold coins and all this cash, and he says, "No wonder there's no money in the ghetto." No wonder there's no money in the ghetto. And the question is, why would they even bother keeping these kids alive? Right. I have up here at the top. I was going to save it for the for the lightning round, but you're right. Why don't they just kill them? Yeah. They like if they're just going to keep them down there, why not just kill them? Yeah. Unanswered, but because it's creepier. I'll talk about this here. Wes Craven, like we know, he wrote Nightmare on Elm Street because of real stories he read in the newspaper. This one's based off a real story in the newspaper that he read about burglars breaking into a house and finding children locked up inside rooms and who are never allowed to go outside because the parents were crazy and because burglars broke into the house that's how the secret was revealed and so he decided to base an entire movie on that i mean you hear about these stories all the time yeah and it's really it's fucked up it's it's terrifying there was one like in the past like a year ago or so where they had like 13 yeah and it's just it's terrifying to think about how many sick people there are in the world and how, I mean, listen, I'm not going to advocate that we give people licenses to give birth and they have to pass a test or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that anyone can have a kid, even crazy people. And the irresponsible crazy people are actually probably more likely to have a kid. And so you end up, I just it's just a fact of life and it's something that we live with. Bad parents have kids and do awful things to those kids and it fucking sucks. And they have no, you know, easy way to get help. And this is a very silly movie that has that message. Yeah. So it's it's really pretty fucked up when you think about it. Yeah. And that kind of taints my ability to enjoy it. Because I'm just thinking the whole time about, like, the fact that there are children right now living in nightmares like that. Oh, don't worry. The next movie we're going to talk about takes a serious look at this phenomenon. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so the kids come out and they attack mommy and daddy. Like, at this point, it's very silly. They're coming out of cupboards and shit. It's all the ways they get into the walls and they stab mommy and I forget how daddy dies. 
unimportant. There's a cool little moment. Oh, daddy dies in the explosion, right? <laughs> There's a cool little moment where fool makes them think that he's sitting somewhere. Okay. Because he puts gold coins inside a candle. This stick. is one of the most clever diversion tricks I've ever seen in a movie. I've never seen this anywhere. He sets up a bunch of candles and he wedges some of the coins into the candles directly into the wax and then he lights the candles. So as they burn down, the coins fall out and they clink on the ground. And it's just a continuous kind of clinking sound. And the dad thinks that that he's stumbled across Fool counting the coins. Mm -hmm. And nope, there's nobody there. And he's really wired up all the explosives that he's found throughout the house. And, and Fool has a great line. He's just like, not the best place to store it, in my opinion. <laughs> And he blows up the house mm -hmm. and all the cash goes everywhere and all the the neighborhood folks who are out there trying to stand up for Fool and break into this house to get Fool out are, are just showered by cash and the people under the stairs walk out. And into the notices. open air and nobody it's notices like, what them. What are they going to do? Right, like, yeah. What kind of a life are they going to live now? Yeah, uh, this is a common thing we say at the end of these movies, but what now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the end of the movie. Yes. Oh, Fool also has another line after he says, not the best place to store it, in my opinion. But he's like, but you know what? I don't like you much anyway. Yeah. <laughs> then he blows him up. Good lines. All right, Kelsey, lightning round. Or did you hit everything? I think we've hit... Everything I, they, we hit pretty much everything uh, I want to say. Any last minute thoughts we'll save for right now. Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey. What do you think it got? Seventy-seven. Sixty-three. Ouch. Underrated. Yeah. What would you give it? I'd probably give it a seventy-five. I think seventy-five is a good one. I think that's a good score. This is a weird movie. Very. How it can be very scary and nerve-wracking. Yes. But also just really Bonkers. ridiculous and kids movie silly. Yes. But it's definitely not a movie for kids. But it's tackling serious issues at yeah. the same time. Uh -huh. It's very strange. Yeah, it is really, really strange. Um, but Wes Craven, this is obviously his like social commentary movie where he's like, you know, the rich hoarding the wealth at the expense of the poor, you know, he has something to say about that, which I think he pulls off effectively. Mm -hmm. But I really liked it, actually. I think it was a lot of fun. I think this is one of those movies that when you're drinking at night and you have a bunch of people over, you might want to put on because it's really silly. I especially love Mommy and Daddy. They were really great. They scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. But then as an adult, they're a lot of fun. Yes. You know? But I can see why they scared me when Yeah. I was a kid. They're creepy as fuck. They're very creepy. And they are just relentless. Mm-hmm. And total, there's nothing between them being normal and them being, just kill them. Kill them. You know? Mm -hmm. Like- they're frightening because they lack so much humanity and empathy for living things. Mm -hmm. The only time they seem upset when something dies is when Prince dies. And then they're just like, well, you got to get another dog. <laughs> so it's like they're fucked up and they lack empathy. And I think that's Wes Craven saying something about people who hoard their wealth. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right. That was 1991's 
People Under the Stairs. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. You ready for a really hard one again? Yes. To what M. Night Shyamalan film was 2016's Split a sequel? Unbreakable. That is correct. And Mr. Glass, or is it's it just Glass? Be the third one. I think it's the third one. It's coming out soon. Hopefully, it's good. We shall see. We'll see. All right, Kelsey. Mm. The Birds, 1968. Okay. Lacked what conventional film element? We talked about this in the episode, but I completely forgot until I read this. And I'm like, oh, right. Oh, music. Yeah. It lacks a musical score, Mm -hmm. which is crazy when you think about it. That's what makes the screeching of the birds punctuated so much. Right. Because that's that's the audio you get Mm -hmm. throughout the entire movie. Yeah, it's really, really good. See, that's the thing about this is like some of the questions are super easy. And others are like, what? why would I know that? Like, That's the same thing with Slash Cards. Who has been a credited writer on every film in the Child's Play series? Don Mancini, who directed Seed of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, and Cult of Chucky. Here's one for a movie we reviewed. In Eyes Without a Face 1960, what is the term for the procedure involving transferring living tissue from one person to another? Transplant? Heterografting. Why would we know that? They say that word once. If they even do. Like, Jesus. This one, I think you would know, but you wouldn't get his name. What actor portrayed both Lucas and Jeffrey in Mama 2013? That's a movie we've done. Both Lucas and... Oh! Oh, uh... Yeah, see? uh, You don't know his name. Game of Thrones! Uh Uh-huh. Is his name Skarsgård? Is he Skarsgård? No. No. Nikolai Kosterwaldau. Sure. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Moving on to 2013's The Harvest, written by Stephen Lancelotti, directed by John McNaughton, starring Samantha Morton, Natasha Callis, and Michael Shannon, whom we love. Also, Charlie Tahan, who... <laughs> Isn't mentioned in the top three for some reason, but he was just in Castle Rock as a very minor role, but he was in it. Yes. Kelsey, what is The Harvest about? The Harvest is about a girl whose parents just died, so she has to move in with her grandparents in a new town. Her first friend that she meets is a very ill boy who... Like, lives in a wheelchair, etc. Never goes outside, etc. Etc. And he has an overprotective he mother. Has very protective mother, yes. And she does not like their friendship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And things go places from there. Yes, they do. Should people watch the movie? Yes, because I think it's good. Don't go into it expecting a real horror movie. It's much more of a thriller and it really d- takes a while to I wrote, get started. I wrote down it reminds me of Hereditary insofar as for the first hour, it's just a drama. And there is not a single stitch of horror until at least an hour into the movie. Well, I think it's much more clear 
early on that there's something sinister well, yeah, there's about the something mom. going on, but we there's no indication as to what it is or anything. For the first hour, she's just super overprotective and quick to get angry, but we just don't know why. True. But that's the only thing that's going on. It's like, why is she such a bitch? But I liked it a lot. Uh, so did I. I mean, I didn't. There are things about it that I have problems with, but for the most part, I thought it was very good. I don't think I could recommend it to everybody, though, is the problem. Yeah, it's very slow moving, and it's not a typical horror movie at all. It's also not your typical Michael Shannon movie. Like, I mean, yeah, he's in weird movies, and this he's is a weird, weird movie. He's in weird movies. But, I mean, this isn't his his typical role. Like, yeah. he's not. he doesn't play a Michael Shannon character. He's very timid in this. Yes. And he's not like crazy yes because of some things he does <laughs> you have to say that he's fucked up but he doesn't act crazy true he's just like super timid yeah yeah so it's uh it's an unusual movie and it takes a long time to get going but i mean even in that time it's a good drama and then and then it just goes places from there so you can take our advice or leave it, and when we get back, we'll talk about 2013's The Harvest. You start school on Monday. You're going to meet a whole bunch of new friends. I liked my old friends. I'm Marianne. Andy. I'm new, so I guess you're my first friend. My first friend, too. There's no other kids around here at all? None that I know. Andy, what's going on here? This is Marianne. Hi. Hello, Marianne. How did you get in here? Kills me to see him sitting there in that little room. Children are for life. Really? I have to increase his dosage again today. Watch how much you give him. I've got it under control. Hi, Mom. She's on her way home. Hurry! She'll be here any minute. Was someone here when I was gone? What are you talking about? Liar! I know she was in this house. I'm sorry. gave his one child to love and take care of. I've been telling you to slow it down. Andy's mother is crazy. I can't take this anymore. All we do is exist to sustain him. Why won't anyone believe me? We both knew this day would come. Andy, wake up. We have to get you out of here. He does not exist. He does not exist to you. Help me. Kelsey, why don't you get us started? What happens in The Harvest? We open up on kind of a misleading note. Right. It starts with a baseball game. It's kids. And the pitcher gets hit with the ball. I guessed. I was like, okay, they're telegraphing this from like a million miles away. He's going to get hit. I thought he'd get hit in the face. He got hit in the chest. Right. Which I know can knock the wind out of you, but like they- No, I think it might have like cracked a rib or something. No. Well, whatever it is, it's really serious. So he has to get taken to the hospital. And the lady who ends up saving him, I guess, gets this 
hug from the mother of the child, and she's obviously very awkward. And I guess that's supposed to give us a lot of insight into her character, but it seems kind of pointless. And they never come back to it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's... I. Like, it would be a good reason to be overprotective or whatever if it that's, had a bigger impact. That's what I was wondering. I was like, is this supposed to be leading us to see how overprotective she is because her son is obsessed with baseball? Right. But so, they never mention it again. Yeah. It's really weird. And the mother is played by Samantha Morton, who, of all things, you probably know her from the Minority Report. She's the most important precog. She's also the overly strict mother in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yes, that's pretty much all I know her from. And I gotta say, I think she did a really good job in this movie. I think I think she's the best actor in this movie. I think she plays the same character in everything. Subdued, not all there... She she pulled off the bitch thing. I think it's the movie's fault. <laughs> I think it's the movie's fault that they just... It's like an hour of just... We get it. She's an overprotective bitch. <laughs> she hates her husband. We get it. She doesn't let her kid do anything. We get it. <laughs> so it's sounding like Chris didn't really like this movie. <laughs> I liked the movie. Okay. I did. But that's one part that's like, okay, come on. So then she is apparently on her drive home, and we find out that for whatever reason, she calls home like 10 minutes before she's going to get there. Not before she leaves work to tell him, hey, sweetie, I'm on my way home. No, she waits until she gets to the stop sign, which is like a couple minutes away, to be yeah. like, hey, honey, I'm, I'm on my way home. And this is a plot device that will be used later. Yeah. But it's just a strange thing for her to do. It's almost like she's calling as a warning, which is what it gets used for later. Right. But it's like, in real life, if you're going to call home to let your kid know you're coming home, why wouldn't it be when you're leaving your work? Why would it be 10 minutes before you're getting home? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, this movie, okay, here, oh, God, I'm real. I'm kind of conflicted about the movie, all right? It's so desperately indie. <laughs> like, it has minimal sets, it has minimal direction, it's not great acting, not great cinematography, really low budget, it's, like, desperately indie. Surprise, surprise, it was produced by the Independent Film Channel. But, like, there's stuff that's really good about it. Like, it's intriguing. And despite the fact that horror doesn't happen for an hour or so, it manages to keep my attention. Did, did it keep your attention as well? It did. I think this is a very well-written movie. Yeah. I think the story is very good, and I think the dialogue is very good, and... I think that's what it had going for it. And also Michael Shannon makes everything better. Right. But like, Chris this isn't didn't like him. This isn't this. a good Michael Shannon movie. I disagree. Like good Michael Shannon movies. Let's see if we can name them. What do you think is a good Michael Shannon movie? Bug. Bug. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next thing that came to mind was not a good movie. Well, okay. Yes, I it liked it. It is. I know what you're thinking. Of. I liked it. 
I thought his character was kind of trite. You're, you're thinking of The Shape of Water, right? You're not. No. What are you thinking of? I'm thinking of um, Superman. Oh, where he plays Zod? I thought his character was trite. I actually liked the movie, though. No, I'm thinking well, I of like The Shape of Water. I think he's really great in that. Yeah, he is. I think he's uh, really good in... I love the Midnight Express. Midnight Express, yeah, that's a good one. You haven't seen Iceman, I'd recommend it. He's really good in that. Uh, Take Shelter. Take Shelter's really good. He's really good in... What else have we seen him in? He was in the show Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire, yeah. He's a really good actor, and he plays very specific roles, usually intense. He has, he has kind of that creepy. look. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it, it has typecast him, for oh, sure. Totally. But this in this movie, he's just so meek and reserved. And I liked that about it, but you could tell that under the surface, something is bubbling. But, like, it doesn't actually boil over until the very end. And, and I'm okay such, with that. But in such a minor way. He, he has... He has, I would not call that minor. <laughs> he has a... It is a huge change from what he has been doing for, for how many years? But 13 what it, years? Yeah, but what does it take? It takes a, a lot. No, it takes a single decision. It's a, He makes a but single decision. But it takes decision. a lot for him to make that decision. Right, because they wrote him as such a meek character. Exactly. Like, I think I think... I think Michael Shannon was misused in this movie. I disagree. I okay. thought he did a good job. All right. Anyway, let's move on with the story. We uh, the the movie kind of centers around this this one young girl whose name is Marianne Natasha Callis. It's so funny that you say that because I think she's she's she serves a purpose for sure, but I hate her. Yeah, as a character, I don't like her, and I honestly wish that I know she's a catalyst. She's necessary. If it weren't for a Catalyst character, this might not have happened the way it did. So she's necessary, but her whole story I just couldn't give a shit about because she... Okay, so I'll just tell you. She is a young girl. She's in middle school. Her parents have died. She has to move in with her grandparents. She's not happy about this. She takes it all out on her grandparents. And her grandparents, for their part, are very good people and do everything they can to try and make things better for her. But because she's a middle schooler, and I see this every day, this is the age group I teach, she's a bitch because she needs to take out her own anxieties on other people because they don't know how, they don't yet know how to deal with their problems. Right. So it's impossible for you to like her because all you see is her being a bitch to her grandparents who are doing nothing but being kind to her. And for whatever reason, she gets fixated on this kid that she meets and I'm perfectly fine with her being like, no, fuck you to, to his mom. Yeah. Because this mom is crazy. Yeah. She has issues. <laughs> and we do later find out that she also has a reason for her issues. But again, she's kind of a parallel to the girl, which is another reason why I think it's very impossible to like the main girl. So she l- is a parallel to the mother. I can see that. I can see that. And they're both kind of trying to pull the boy, Andy, played by Charlie Tahan, who was in Castle Rock, <laughs> uh, like in different directions. 
I almost feel like he's being used as a tool even by this girl that's supposed to be his best friend. Right. It's her. She's rebelling by using him. Yeah. And that's shitty. So, okay. Let's break down the bulk of the plot where not much happens. Just in its most basic elements. There's a young boy. His name is Andy. And he has some sort of disease. We don't know what it is, but he can't walk. Um, he, well, he struggles. He can't talk, walk well. He well, he needs to he needs to work out his legs or whatever. I'm just explaining that he's not. Yeah. He's paralyzed. wheelchair bound, but he yeah. is wheelchair bound. And his mother, who is a doctor, is overprotective of him and doesn't let him do anything. His father, who is more meek tries to give him independence, suggests he should work his legs out more, suggests he should go to the restroom by himself. And Andy really likes that. But something bad happens and he hits his head and the mom just hates the dad for not being there with him. And it's a lot of that. Their relationship is a lot of that, where the dad's trying to let the boy live a life despite his his uh, disadvantages and the mom being overprotective and getting overly mad at both of them when they try to do that. Now, what's what's interesting here, and this is why I'm saying it's a very well-written story. If this was like a short story, this would be really intense. You're talking about like the plot. Yes. Yes. Um, I would say the dialogue, not the best. <laughs> It's an intricately woven story. Like she is a very complex character. She is the mother. Yeah. Um. Because the movie does an excellent job of making you think that she's just. I mean, she is. She is just a crazy person. Right. But at the same time, you're just thinking for most of the movie, what a fucking bitch she is. She just wants control over her son. Yeah. You you start to question: Is this Munchausen syndrome? Right. Something where she must have control over the men in her life. She has total control over her husband. She has total control over her son. And you find out that no, there is a very specific reason why she doesn't want this young girl in her home. Right. You, you, she doesn't want her learning things. Right. So it's it's very it does a very good job of making the dynamics between characters believable in retrospect. I think, you know, learning what you learn, it makes everything make sense. Up to that point, you're like, okay, I can see these people reacting this way, but there's something slightly off about it. And that's a bulk of the horror elements through the first half of the movie. It's just something seems fucking off. Mm -hmm. And slowly the mother's rage is amplified. Yeah. And it really ups the, the tension. The tension of this movie is very taut, I would say. Yes. And... Yes. You, like I said, throughout the film, it is small. I think he maybe could have done a bigger job of it. But you can see that there is a knot twisting inside of Michael Shannon's character. And yes. that he he feels that he must follow her instructions. And you don't know why until the end. Right, but she also has this power play over him because he he he's a nurse, but he's decided to stay home to take care of the boy. And she's the doctor, so any medical decisions, she just pulls rank. He's overly medicated. I've been telling you to slow it down. Is that your diagnosis? I know you're the doctor. Yeah. And I'm not a wait-and-see kind of doctor, right? Mm. 
I'm proactive and I, I'm sticking to this treatment plan. He has a connection with a uh, drug supplier, uh, salesperson. Which I wonder if that's maybe the only reason she has kept him around, aside from he can't go out and tell them their, tell anyone their secret. But right. like, I wonder if it's that connection that has been that has been like the reason that she's kept him. Right. And then it is never shown, but heavily, well, never shown in the beginning, but then heavily implied that there might be something between them. Maybe they had a past relationship. Maybe they're having an affair now, which then actually comes to a head with their relationship where he finally admits to her that, yes, he slept with this other woman, even though she's been accusing him of this this whole time. There's even one time where he comes back from picking up the medication and she's like, you smell like her. You need to take a shower. And you're like, oh, my God, does she know they're having an affair? But it's 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 one of these weird sort of like relationship things where like the two of them both know something and they get close to admitting it to each other and they can even talk around it. But just not saying the thing is what keeps everything from blowing up until he actually one day says, I slept with her. And that's this huge. I was under the implication, though, that was the first time and the only time. I know. I think they had a sexual tension for a long time. That could be possible. Finally happened. But even he then tells his wife, I'm not leaving you. It won't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Which I believe. Uh-huh. I believe but that she, about But she character. loses it. She starts crying. She's like, what do you want to do? Like, it's the, it is one of only two moments of power he has in this entire movie over his wife. And it's almost like that's why he did it. Partially to try to attempt to have a normal relationship with someone. And then partially, like, I, I needed to have some sort of agency. And that's the only way he can. At one point before that, though, they're talking and she's just being an all-out bitch to him. I, I have it written down, but we, we're not going. Right, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So she says something that's just fully bitchy and he's just like, you you can't keep treating me like this. I'm all you have. Why are you mad at me? You undermine everything I say. I really don't understand you sometimes. You keep pushing me away, and I'm all you've got. I'm sorry. I just, I just want him to get better. And she starts crying because she knows it's true. Yeah. Without him, everything would fall apart. And so she does need him, and she's just like, I don't know why I'm like this or whatever it is. And it's... It's a moment that, by the end of the film, you don't know if she's being honest or not. I couldn't tell you, after watching this film, if she actually cared about him or not. Right. I couldn't tell you if she appreciated him or not. At the very least, at the very least, her conviction for her son was more than her love for Michael Shannon. Right, but that's a typical thing. Right. That's a but typical But that's the only trope. thing we know. Yeah. I do you think that she ever actually loved him? I couldn't tell you. Time there are times when she seems like she's actually innocently crying and saying and when you find out what it is, 
It's like that's what drove her to no, this I point. No, I think yeah, no, I think at one point, you know, they had a loving relationship, and then their son got sick, and then everything was just about keeping that together and and keeping their son well, and when things like him coming home and saying I slept with another woman, that's this fragile, fragile situation that she is doing everything to keep together is endangered and she loses it. That's why she overreacts to every situation is because every ounce of her emotional energy is into keeping this together. And every threat to that is the biggest danger in her entire life because that is her entire life. I think it's also important to note here, there are times that she shows tenderness for Andy. Yeah. And it's very confusing at the end. Because eventually, he keeps lying to her and bringing in the girl to hang out with. Because yeah. he just wants a friend. This is not a sexual thing. No, this not is, at all. This is not a fuck you mom thing. This is just purely... I'm lonely. Yeah, no, he's terrified of his mom. But yes. Here's, he can have a friend. He's never had a friend before. And so that pushes the mom to start doing insanely cruel things to her son. She, at one point, she whacks down his little garden that he has. So ostensibly, that's what the harvest is, <sighs> is there's like a little field of corn outside his window that he watches grow and he scares off the crows. It's a thing that that he gets to own. It's a piece of the world that he has. And so it's very important to him. And then she comes out and just takes a rake and just starts knocking it all down because he lied to her about the girl coming over. She breaks his TV, which is like the only thing he uses for fun. It's to play video games. Yeah. I think at one point, yeah, she covers up his walls, which are covered in um, baseball wallpaper. Right, she takes all of his uh, action figures and and stuff like that. Now this all comes to a head because after Marianne was basically told never come over here again and Catherine goes to her grandparents and they have an agreement that it won't happen again. Cath- uh, Marianne's grandparents say don't ever do it again. She does it again. And there's evidence left behind, and she is pissed at Andy for this. And this is all happening. But <laughs> this is where the tension really starts ramping up, and it starts to become an actual horror movie. Is Marianne is still inside the house when this happens, and Catherine doesn't know that yet. And what does she find? She makes her way to the basement, and she finds another young boy who's being kept in what appears to be a medical coma among all this medical equipment in their basement. And she sees them as a doctor and a nurse performing medical operations on this boy and seeing x-rays of his chest and like all this stuff. And she's like, she, she, oh my God, I know what the secret is. I know why she's so protective of him. She's kidnapped this little boy and using him to keep Andy alive. To harvest his organs. Yes. And so she manages to make it out. But there's a little bit of evidence left behind when Michael Shannon drives away. 
the car pulls out and there's a baseball underneath it. She knows they've been playing catch. She knows that 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 she was actually over there. And now she's got that confirmation that she wanted. But now Marianne's like, oh, my God. And she starts doing all this research about this boy whose name she saw. Oh, this boy. What was his name? Kimenick. So she discovers on the x-rays that this kid's name is Jason. And then she looks him up. And it turns out this Jason kid was abducted from the hospital as a baby. And we know Catherine has access to the hospital because they think it was an inside job. Because how else do you get a baby out of a hospital? And when she sneaks back, she finds out that they're going to perform a liver transplant to keep Catherine and Michael Shannon's son alive. And then, and when Andy wakes up and he doesn't know what happened, he just knows his 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 uh, the area right here on his side really hurts. Michael Shannon says, "Well, we had to perform an emergency surgery to remove your appendix." Yeah, and he's lying to him now. And that'll explain why you're groggy. It'll explain why you have scar right here. And, you know, but it was an emergency, which is why we never planned for this. They keep telling us he's going to die. Yeah. If we don't do this thing. Right. They keep saying that. He's going to die in a month. So Marianne decides she needs to tell Andy about Jason in the basement. So she does. And Andy goes to see Jason. And he's like, who are you? What are you doing down here? And Jason's not responding because he's completely out. Mm -hmm. And Michael Shannon comes in and is like, uh, because like one of his things got unplugged or whatever. And so the machines are beeping. Trying to... Fix it because he doesn't want his wife to see that Andy right. has found the, the kid. But it happens anyway. Catherine comes downstairs and sees that. And Michael Shannon is like, I don't know how he got down here. I came down here and he was just here. And as he's trying to carry Andy out of the room and he is screaming at her, who is he? Why is he here? What's going on? And this is when Catherine divulges that he's her son. Mom, who is he? He's my son. God. If if he's your son, who am I? And the gears start clicking in your head and you're like, oh, she's been harvesting a boy she kidnapped from the hospital to keep her son alive. But it's not the direction we thought. The boy in the basement is actually Andy, and the guy we know as Andy is Jason. They've been harvesting him. The J- they, the boy we know as Andy, they've been harvesting him to keep the boy in the basement alive. And that was a twist I did not see coming. I saw the first twist coming. I was like, I mean, hell, it's called The Harvest for God's sake. Like, of course. I thought... Something was strange because I was wondering why she would – at one point we see the mother reading to the kid who is obviously not able to understand a word she's saying. So I was like, why bother? Right. So that made me question Well, it. she's also teaching – okay. So for ease of use, we will say the boy we know is the main character, Charlie Tahan, is Andy. And that the boy in the basement who we never see speak or anything like that, he's Jason for simplicity. Yeah, she does read to Jason at night. 
and she homeschools Andy. And you're like, well, if if they're just going to end up killing Andy, why teach him? And it's like, well, because people come around, they know they have a kid. Like he can't like in order to keep him there and not have to go to school, they have to prove that he's being educated somehow. And so she has to teach him something. And she says, in order to motivate him, she says, if you don't study, you'll grow up to be a nurse. And he says, like dad. And she says, exactly. If you don't study, you grow up to be a nurse. Like dad. Exactly. Like that's something that he should be ashamed of. Okay, but we both know. Yeah. It's not very difficult to fucking fool the state that you are teaching your own but children. But they have to, like, pass tests and shit. So she I don't know have if they do, do because remember that story that we were just talking about in the last segment about uh-huh. the 13 kids who were kept under lock and key? Yeah, but that, I don't know if, if anyone knew the kids existed, though. Oh, they did. They took them places. Oh. They would mm. take them on, like, a family trip once a year. Right, yeah, I remember that. And it... It's not like anybody was checking in to see how they were functioning and doing. And this kid, I don't think, it's very confusing. I don't understand why she would allow him to be taught anything. I don't know why she would treat him like her own son. Why it seems like she does care for him in the beginning. And then as things, as he starts becoming less controllable, that's when we start to see her rage on him. Why be nice to him at all? Why let him see the light of day? To make it easier. Because if you have a boy that's going to be screaming and crying, going to be yelling at the front door every time somebody comes to visit or or to sell something or anything like that, like, why would you want to deal with that? Why not just keep up the illusion? Well, people do it all the time. I'm sure they do it the same way, though. I'm sure that's how they do it. In any case, Marianne comes to get Andy out and he tells her, I'm not actually Andy. The boy downstairs is Andy. When... Jason downstairs starts to go into cardiac arrest and they need to do the last transplant that they were keeping Andy alive for, which was a heart transplant. They need to do it and it needs to happen now. So while Catherine is downstairs prepping him, Michael Shannon goes upstairs to go get him. But Marianne's there and she's like, you know, how could you do this to him? You can't take him. And eventually Michael Shannon, he's just like, Marianne, you have to trust me. And he ends up like giving him a shot, which is supposed to be adrenaline in order to get him to walk because he knows how to walk. He has the power to walk, but he's just he it hurts and it's difficult for him. So the shot of adrenaline will help him because they've just been keeping him crippled this whole time, basically, Mm -hmm. and then shatters the window and is trying to get them out. And this is like his his big point of what's the term I'm looking for? Rebellion against Catherine. And it's like, I know it's going to keep our son alive, but we can't keep doing that. We can't kill this little boy. We've done enough harm. It's basically Michael Shannon's viewpoint. And when Catherine comes up and realizes what he did, she gives him an injection, 
We don't know what, but it's knocking him out. Mm -hmm. But Michael Shannon's a very large man. Mm -hmm. So as Catherine goes out to run to try to catch Andy and Marianne, he crawls downstairs to get to Jason. And he unplugs all the machinery and sets the whole place on fire while Catherine's out. And so when she finally tracks down Andy and Marianne, who have managed to cross a river without the aid of, or a creek really, without the aid of a wheelchair showing how strong that Andy can actually be, she's yelling and screaming at them to get back over here. If you could walk across that creek, you can walk right back. Where'd you go? You think you could just leave? And you, didn't I tell you to stay away from my house? She, I, I thought it was a very intense scene on her part. Then she sees the smoke and she's like, did you see what you did? This is all your fault. And she runs back and she's, she, the whole place is on fire. She goes down there and she doesn't know what to do to stop it. And she's concerned. Michael Shannon has been holding Jason, their young boy. And we presume they're both dead at this point. And then because of the fire, the whole ceiling collapses in on Catherine. Cut to the future when... The ending is cheesy as shit. Yes. When it's another baseball game, you know, it's it's bookended. It rhymes. It's, it's like a poem. It rhymes. <laughs> Again, it's like poetry. So if they rhyme. Andy is up at bat. And he's standing and he's playing baseball, which is all he's ever wanted to do. And for some reason, Marianne is on the opposite team. And the fact that he hits this great hit or whatever. He does. He pitches. Is that what happens? He pitches it and she hits the ball. I have it written down here. Why not just make her the pitcher? Why are they on different? Oh, that's what happens. That's what happens. She's hitting the ball. Yes. And he's in the outfield and catches it. Oh, that's right. Right. Yes. So it's a big deal that he managed to catch the ball because when they play catch earlier, he has a really hard time of it. Again, it's like poetry. So if they rhyme. And it's like she's really happy for him. But it's like, why are you guys on opposite teams? Also, where were your parents? Are they here? Are you with them? Right. What's happening? Are there? you being raised by Peter Fonda now? <laughs> we didn't say Peter Fonda is her granddad. <laughs> And why are they on two different teams? Yeah, where are his parents? Why not just make her the pitcher? So then she pitches, uh-oh, the hit, the batter hit it, and then he catches it. So they're on the same team, and they support each other, and he still catches the ball. It's such an obvious choice. Why, why make me ask these questions at the end of the movie? But that's the end of the movie. That is The Harvest. Kelsey, what are your extra thoughts? Lightning round. So the girl who he does end up having an affair with, it's like super clear from the get-go that she wants him. And I'm like, She's totally I get into it. him. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> I get it. She seems really sweet too. Yeah. It's a bummer that he didn't get to experience that life. I wrote, the girl is not good. Oh no, she's really bad. I mean, the dialogue is okay. Okay. At one point, she sees their house for the first time, and it's like, what is this? A house? Oh, my <laughs> God. I can't believe it's a house. Like, I just, I'm just like, what is, what is your face? Why, why is this the most astounding thing you've ever uh -huh. seen? And then when, why would you, she just enters their house. P.S. Yeah. She just breaks in. What? What? You don't just break into somebody 
unless she's a little thief, which she's not. No, she she sees the boy in the window first. No, she tries to break in before she sees him. I don't think she can, though. Like, the padlock, she can't get past it or whatever. Mm. But she totally tries to get in to their house. Oh, through the basement. Yes. She tries the basement door. Yeah, uh-huh. Who does that? Do you just come up to a house and say, I'm going to just break into yeah, this? Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, but she is, she's not good. And I'm sorry, she's a young girl in this movie, uh, Natasha Callis. And when she sees him through the window... Holy shit, it's a human being. Yeah. I have never seen this before. What is happening? What is happening? Where is the director? Well, like I said, it's like not, it's a concept that is really good, but an execution that is just so lackluster. And that's, that's this movie's biggest downfall, in, in my opinion. Like, I like the twist. I like that it's like hereditary I wrote down. Is this going to take a turn like hereditary where it's just a drama for the first like two acts and then it takes a sharp turn? This kind of did, except, you know, it's not like haunted. There's nothing mystical about it, but it does take a pretty drastic turn at the end. But yeah, her acting is not great. And the more I think about their dialogue, the more I realize you're right, especially with the kids, because with the kids, it's weird. They speak intelligently. Mm-hmm. And yet, they're all idiots. They sound almost like children. Yeah, and they're supposed to be like eleven years old. Well, they're all, not good at acting those natural. Three makes no sense. They're not good at acting natural. Like they're supposed to act natural. Like this is us having fun. They don't know how to act like they're having fun. I actually thought the boy did pretty good. Yeah, he was all right. But yeah, the girl was no good. For instance, with this dialogue, at one point she's at home. The grandma has said. You went back there when we told you not to do it, and nah, 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 you're grounded or whatever. And she she just won't give it up, and she knows they're gonna steal this Jason's heart for a heart transplant to give to Andy, and that that's not okay. And she feels bad for Andy that he doesn't know that they're doing this for him, even though what we find out is ap- actually the opposite. She tells Peter Fonda about this, and is like, they're going to cut out this boy's heart. And he doesn't believe her, but his advice to her, like his profound advice that she needs to take in order to do what needs to be done, is to just, you need to follow your heart. They're going to give Jason's heart to Andy. Is that what you really think? Why won't anyone believe me? When I was a kid, I had friends that I wasn't allowed to hang out with, but that didn't stop me. Follow your heart, Marianne. Two things. First of all, that's cliched advice, and it doesn't mean anything in the context of this movie. Except, second of all, that she's talking about them removing a child's heart and your advice. Like, listen, if it's comp- if you don't believe her, if you are Peter Fonda and you don't believe her, but you're like, you obviously feel strongly about this, my advice to you is to be independent, be your own person, and just follow your heart. It's bad advice because she was just talking about a heart transplant. This is bad writing. There's a really cute moment. Now, this is before you know anything that is happening. Right? Yeah. So you're looking at Michael Shannon as if he is just a father of a really sick boy who happens to be at that weird 11-year-old age. Yeah. 
And he knows that Marianne is inside the house. Yeah. And he allows it to happen because, as Chris has said, he wants him to be able to live like a, a life. He wants him to have a life. Yeah, exactly. So, at one point, he knows they're in there. He knows they're sitting there playing video games. He comes in. He's got like food, like a mom would. Yeah. He puts it down. And then he's just awkwardly standing there, like, I don't know if I should leave these two alone. Right. It's like, how about after this game, we call it. Okay, how about that? <laughs> well, that's because the mom's coming home. But it's yeah. just like, do I leave a boy and a girl at this age alone together? Like, being a parent of a middle schooler must be so weird. Yeah. Because it could just be pure friendship. It could be purely platonic. Or it could be romantic. And you don't want to be the parent who allows your kid to get somebody pregnant at 11 years old. Right. <laughs> so it's just like. This is awkward. To nail home the whole bad writing thing in spite of a great concept. <sighs> the way they hammer home the twist and make sure that the audience knows it is that Andy, who just heard his mom say, he's my son, about Jason, figures everything out in his head without any additional information and then tells Marianne, I'm Jason. He's Andy. Like, okay, first of all, how did you figure that out? Did you not ask any more questions? How are you so certain about this? And that's that's their method of telling the audience. And then when Michael Shannon comes up to the room to get him for the open heart surgery or whatever like that, he apologizes to him and just assumes that he has it all figured out. Like there's no there's no talk between the two of them. Listen, this is why we did what we did or anything. It's just I'm sorry. Like how do you know he knows what you're sorry for? It's and then during the escape he calls him Andy, which I think could not be bad writing. It could maybe unintentionally be good writing that he still considers who we know as Andy to be his son. Yeah, that's the I wish we could have gotten more insight into how Michael Shannon felt. Right, yeah. Because I understand, like Chris has said many times, he is a meek character. He does not voice his thoughts well, which is a very Michael Shannon thing to do. Yes. Um, But the problem there is that we don't get enough comprehension of how he feels about it. Because right, I at, think at some points it feels like he really loves Andy and he feels guilty about what he's done, and at other points it just feels like no, this is just the way it is. No, I okay. So here's here's how I think. I think Catherine is a woman of her convictions. She's decided this is the only way to keep my son alive, whether it's a life worth living or not. I will do anything, anything to keep him alive. And the father, who's who's a little less certain, <laughs> a lot less certain than she is, is like, the only times where he's certain are times that he needs to talk himself into it. Otherwise, it would destroy him what he's done because his son is sick and his wife tells him to. And he just goes along with it. The only way he cannot just be eaten up 
inside is by saying, no, it has to be done. So the times when you see him be certain, that's him fighting against his uncertainty. I think very, very intentionally. And he is very uncertain because he really doesn't like what they've done to this kid. Like, we know 12 years ago or whatever, he knew his wife kidnapped a baby and made a decision to not say anything and to go along with it. Fascinating that you think it was the mother. Yeah. I mean, it could be it could be him. I think it was Michael Shannon. There's that one picture that he has of him holding him as a baby. And he's and we know that it's Andy because he's wrapped up in the baseball blanket. So, I'm pretty sure that was the movie telling us that that is Andy. Right. He would hold the baby because he's excited to have a healthy boy, but that doesn't mean he's the one who kidnapped him. I think honestly what I think I think Michael Shannon would have been happier and less conflicted if they had just kidnapped this baby, let their son die, and then raised Andy as their son. Oh, yeah. That's what he wanted. But because Catherine – like, neither way is good. No. Let me just be clear. (laughs) They're bad people who did bad things. Michael Shannon is just a more interesting, conflicted character. Whereas Catherine, what makes her interesting is that she's not conflicted at all. Not in the fucking least. She knows what she wants, and she'll do anything to make it happen, even if it doesn't get her anything. They're very interesting characters. And that's why I'm saying this movie has a great concept, has a great plot, has a great twist, but it's it's not very well acted by half of the cast. It's not very interestingly directed or shot. It's not very well written. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 55. Got a 67. So technically fresh. The Harvest sows enough well-acted, slow burn, well, well-acted Catherine and Michael Shannon. I think think, they're both, I think the parents are great. I think Charlie Tahan did all right. I think he did pretty well. Yeah. uh, Enough well-acted, slow-burning tension, like you say, to satisfy, even if viewers expecting to reap all-out horror may come away wanting more. I can see that, but it's, like you said, it's like hereditary, There's a good while where it feels like it's just a family drama. However, I think that this movie is more tension-filled than Hereditary is. I think Hereditary honestly is just a drama until the last half hour. Whereas in this movie, the tension is rising. And that's what I mean when I say it's a well-written movie, because you don't know why. You don't know why you're so filled with tension. And like the sense I, of dread. Constantly, I was just like, oh my God, what is happening here? I need to know. I need uh-huh. to know. I need to know. And like, that's impressive. Metacritic. For a movie that we're saying was not made well. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think the concept is what keeps it up. The fact that, no, we're going to treat this in this way up until this point. Like the plot and the general concept are really what holds it up. I am surprised when I look at IMDb and I look at the user reviews. This movie is not well-liked. A lot of people talk about it and they're just like, I could see the twist coming from a mile away. And I'm like, what? Well, there's two twists. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they meant the second one. Uh Uh-huh. Which is a bunch of bullshit. Well, maybe not. The problem is the one thing that I am kind of irked about. Uh Uh-huh. They very purposely picked a boy who looked younger than the other kid to make you think he's the one that was stolen. I didn't 
I didn't catch that, but I can I I have to trust you on that because I didn't think that at all. That kid could very easily be 11 years old because when you teach middle schools or you see there is an enormous difference. Some kids mature very a lot faster than others, yeah. right? And so he could very easily be an 11-year-old who's been sick his whole life, who is obviously smaller and younger and ha- probably hasn't gone through puberty, whereas the other kid probably has. And so it could be that. But I think they very specifically picked a kid that looked younger. <laughs> All right, Metacritic was a 68, actually one point higher than Rotten Tomatoes 67. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? I would say just underrated, just barely. What would you give it? A 70. All right. What about you? I was thinking like a 63. Wow. Yeah. I really liked this movie. I, was, I liked it. Yeah, I was very impressed. It. With what they, like, with very little going on, I was just, like, on the edge of my seat wondering what was going to happen. I'm impressed that they could do that. And I I did not see the twist coming. I did think something weird was going on. When, when the mom sits down to read to the boy, I was like, why? What is... You could just say that it's her motherly instinct kicking in and she has two sons. Exactly. That, that was a question. I was like... Are they both sick? But why keep this one down here? Like I was like, I was very confused. All right, that was 2013's The Harvest and that concludes our Hidden Children Week. <laughs> and our 52nd episode. That's a full year, Kelsey. Woo! That's our full first year. So what is the first movie of our second year? And the first movie of October. I feel like this is supposed to be a big moment. <laughs> and it's, I mean, not to say that it isn't. This is another recommendation brought into us by Brian, who earlier had us watch Puppet Master. Okay. This time, Brian suggested that we watch Candyman. Yeah. And I decided to pair that with Urban Legend. Awesome, because these are Urban, urban legends. legends. The Candyman has the whole... Bloody Mary aspect where you say his name. It's more three the guy times. with the hook. That's more the urban legend that this is. Right, but I mean like the saying his name three times in front of a mirror, that's a Bloody Mary thing. That's the Bloody Mary thing we all grew up with. But yeah, they're all it's centered around urban legends. It's its own urban legend. And uh so urban legends going along with it. The most memorable thing about urban legends, aside from recreating a bunch of those horror <laughs> urban legends, Pop Rocks and Coke. And how Pacey feigns death in the middle of class. Pacey from Dawson's Creek. What's his name? Joshua Jackson? Joshua Jackson. Okay, yeah. All right. I am, I'm excited for those two. And it starts off Halloween season. Halloween. Oh, man. I'm so excited. Me too. All right. So that is next week. This week, we want to thank Peter for recommending these two films. Again, The Harvest from 2013 and The People Under the Stairs from 1991. Can I just say that despite the fact that we paired these up because they're hidden child movies, I cannot think of two movies that share a premise and yet are so dissimilar. Like one is a Wes Craven inner city comedy horror where people die all over the place. The other is a sort of drama, rural, tense sort of 
thing where not much happens at all throughout the rest of it. They're two completely different movies. Anyway, that's all I want to say. Next week, it's Candyman and Urban Legend. Until then, you know where to reach us. We did this all at the beginning of the episode. But podcemetery.com, podcemetery at gmail.com, at podcemetery on Twitter. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Second best thing, share us with your friends. Most best, absolute coolest thing, the fact that you listen at all. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, what parting wisdom do you have to share with the audience? You kids will be the death of me. This is very important, but just a little caution of what you can do. That's a clue, and it's true. Yo, don't want to brand us, want to make your life better and do the right thing. You got to do the right thing. And dealing a big willing And to a younger mind that stuff is appealing So what do they do? They gather up a crew Go out and steal a robber instead of getting a job Now your mother tried to bring you up better than that The same way she loved you, you love the right back With the weasel No Weasel the juice Yeah It lacks a musical score Which is crazy when you think about it Well that's what makes the screech About the musical score Alexa, thank you for that. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Go ahead. So you're going to say. What is your face?